when leadership make the hard decisions, we need to make it with generosity to the most people we can impact. We're doing it as um, that's our job to sustain the, the most benefit for the most people. Welcome to the Responsibly Different Podcast, sharing stories and insights from people harnessing purchasing power as a force for good. Welcome back to our regularly scheduled programming. Excited to have you here. If you are a dog lover, you are going to love this episode. Today we are talking to Spencer Williams, the founder and CEO of the B Corp certified West Paw. West Paw makes dog treats and dog toys for your canine pals that they will love and that you can feel good about. Spencer shares with us some of the innovative ways Westpaw is tackling sustainability in their supply chain and shares his insights on how to use business as a force for good. Welcome, Spencer. Super excited to have you on the show. Uh, To kind of kick us off, can you share with us how Westpaw came to be? Absolutely, Ben. So Westpaw has a a long history. Uh, I've been doing this 26 years but I was really fortunate to buy um, a very small business. A, a woman, uh, her name was Kathy, had great sewing skills and started sewing cat toys in her home. And uh, that business grew a little bit over the years. And and she, after about seven or eight years, was ready to get out. And I was looking to get into manufacturing specifically. I wanted to do something that would help create jobs in our community. And I loved the idea of manufacturing and making something in the day that is very tangible. And I heard from a friend that her business was for sale, and I bought that. And that gave me the ideas of, hey, okay, here's a stable um, uh, business with some ideas of, of what we could do in the future. And uh, my wife and I were just crazy for our chocolate lab. And, uh, and we thought, oh my gosh, you know, if we could do manufacturing that's really fun, um, uh, solving needs, but also making people happy and bringing joyful connection to their life with their pets. This would be great. And uh, how do we make an impact with this business? And so that's how we started. And uh, just very, very grateful that that all happened, being in the right place at the right time. And um, we we really wanted to be in Montana, right? That's where. I, so I, I grew up about a hundred miles uh, away from where the factory is today, where I'm sitting right now. And um, and so it's just really, really nice to be able to make this impact. That's amazing. That's so cool. I, I'm, I have to yeah. ask, do, do you ever hear from Kathy or, or are y'all in touch? And I've been in touch over the years, quite a few times, actually, not here in the last few years. And I'm eager to get reconnected with her, um, especially in, when we crossed, you know, the the 25 year mark. I, I, I think back on, on, on her years in the business, um, which was so different and so small and it's so, so cool. Um, just kind of what her reflections would be. Yeah. That's so neat. Uh, and, and so I'm curious, has the company always been impact focused on people and planet or, or what has that evolution looked like? Yeah. So, you know, when, when we think about, you know, the, the roots of the business, I came to this business looking to make an impact. Mm-hmm. Um, I really wanted to have manufacturing be the center of what I wanted to do. And I knew that manufacturing has this really beautiful diversity of skill sets and backgrounds. And, and that's what I, I, I really love. And I loved the fact that um, so we could impact a lot of people in a lot of different professions. And we could, we could have this idea of sustainable manufacturing. What would that look like? And in 1996, 
for us, that looked like trying to find organic materials and recycled materials. And we became known early on as an innovator of using recycled um, materials uh, for fabric in particular. And um, and so thinking about um, making an impact was more around focused on creating jobs that were meaningful. And also on the environmental side was more around the materials and the way in which we designed our manufacturer our product. And, and those things have, have really just continued to grow over the years, which is a beautiful thing about the business. And, um, but it came from this idea of like, how do we, how do we make impact? And I thinking back, you know, Ben, I, I was 23. I'm not sure I could tell you I had a real plan, <laughs> you know, like I, you know, you, you sort of jump in right with both feet. But those things were foundational from the beginning. I just couldn't really articulate them. It was, it was a beautiful thing that they were like core to who I was, and the culture we were creating as the business um, took uh, its steps towards growth. But I didn't have a business plan. I didn't have anybody in marketing. Uh, you look at our early marketing materials, it really didn't contain any of this at all. It was just the way we were going to do it. It was it wasn't about being able to market or tell anybody about it. And I think back and I'm like, oh, why did it all make so much sense? I guess it was just kind of the way we're going to do it. You know, that's so cool. I mean, and and speaking of impact, you all became B Corp certified pretty early on in the world of B because I think B Corp came around 2007. And so 2013, that's part of the early wave there. I'm so curious, how did you find out about the certification and what made it important to you all to pursue and, and maintain over the years? Oh, that's awesome question. So um, I had been uh, at a conference that was focusing on like um, employee ownership thinking and how to like do the cultural things to help a business create more autonomy and and uh, sort of illuminate the purpose in the business. And this was probably oh nine or ten, maybe ten ish. Um, and and a, a company that I hold in high regard um, is a founding B Corp member called Praxis. And Praxis does a lot of development around business um, um, leadership, uh, cultural transformations, and whatnot. And it just so happened that um, I had done some work with Praxis, and um, the there's one of the one of the employees um, was going down the escalator at the conference, and I said hi. And all of a sudden, this this, this employee starts running back up the escalator, says, "Hey, Spencer, we've got an opening for a seat." At a, at a just a casual dinner with some people who are um, talking about this new movement called B Corp, and I had read about B Corp, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, what a gift!" And so I just uh, loved uh, learning more at that at that dinner, and then um, you know that answered a lot of the questions that I had about B Corp, much like I was saying about the origins around sustainability and impact for our communities. It was as if it just made sense. There was no like big decision. Like it was like these B Corps are our tribe. They're the people who are involved in making business even have a, a more collective impact and a better force, right, for good. And and so it was um, just from that moment, we knew it was the right thing. And at that time, I was starting to get to the place where I needed a management team. So I actually waited a couple of years until I had that mid-layer management team and I presented the idea of B Corp. 
and um, why I thought this was really important and allowed it to sort of be maybe instead of my top down decision of like, this is my company, I'm going to be a B Corp. It was like, what do we want to be? Who do we want to align to? And so we jumped in with both feet and certified in 2013. It was great. Love that. I love that. Um, and and so kind of circling back to that that impact piece, talking about the different materials and sourcing and all of that, I'm, I'm curious, what does your process look like for vetting vendors when it comes to sourcing materials for the various different products that you all offer? Yeah. So one of the really great things is that, um, you know, when, in manufacturing in Montana, there's not a lot of raw materials you can buy in Montana for what we do. And so I think of local as how to do that in North America, right? <laughs> you know, like if we can, if we can supply our materials domestically, that's amazing because what it does is it unlocks some confidence right away, right? If we're able to work with a company that is um, in our same society, in our same region, we have a little bit more confidence going in that things are going to be our, all right. Um, and so as we source our materials, it starts with the, the R&D. Like, are we on the same page about the why? Why does recycled materials matter? Why does this quality matter? Um, and having those initial conversations. And then it's always been important for me to visit the factories, right? To see where these materials are made. How are the employees being treated? How just putting putting boots on the ground. And um I, I I love factories, so it's never a hard sell to have me go to another factory that's going to be supplying us with our materials. Um, and so it's it's really vetting our, our our vendors out has been largely done domestically, which is fantastic. And um, even we have one product then that isn't made in Bozeman, um, in Montana. It's um, it's made in Vietnam. It's a little treat pouch. So you can put your treats in as you're walking with your dog and, and we make a great line of treats and we needed a treat pouch. And um, even though this is one very, very small product in our entire array and uh, by small, small half percentages of revenue, I mean, just tiniest, it took the time to go to Vietnam, to tour the factory, to meet the owner, to see the people, to go through the assessment of, of, of is this the right fit for us? And I was super impressed. That is, um, I think, the kind of credibility that that I'd like to have behind all of our products, whether it's a raw material in most cases or this one finished product. That's really cool. And as somebody who's visited a lot of factories, I'm so curious, do you have like favorite like, oh, my gosh, this was this really inspiring thing that I saw at this factory or just kind of favorite moments or or um, inspiration that you've seen happen at, at some of those factories? Yeah. So there's, there's one that comes up right away. So a textile mill that we used um, for many, many years in, in, in Massachusetts, um, Draper Knitting and Kristen Draper uh, is, is the um, president of that organization. She's um, obviously women led in manufacturing is pretty sweet. Right. And it's multi-generational business, right? Her name is on the building, right? Draper Knitting. And um, and it was just so cool to work with them. And, and when we walked into their into their mill in 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 Massachusetts, the sense of place and history is everywhere. And what I acutely remember is the um just the age of the building and the the boards on the floor seemed to me to be like 18 inches wide, right? These huge boards that made up the wooden flooring. And I'm like, man, you don't see factories built on wood floors today, right? And just the, the presence of space and time and this and the space of, uh, of of recognizing generations have been making textiles in this factory. And that was just a cool thing. And then another, another really, I had a fun friend uh, in, in uh, who ran a, a treats business. And one of the coolest things was 
It was a very successful treats business in pet. And I was so impressed that for a period of time, they would have um, a food truck come on site. So their employees could have like food fresh cooked right there in the parking lot. And I was like, man, that's a really cool idea. So like fun things that you can see about like longevity of businesses. And, and we aspire to be a long, long business. Um, and, and what we call maybe evergreen business in, 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 in the movement that we're a part of, but it's also this idea of how do you just do things that are spontaneous and fun for your employees and keep it, keep it fresh with the, like a food truck. That's really cool. I also have a soft spot for mills cause we're, we're in an, like a 150 year old mill in Maine. Uh, and it's so true mills. Oh gosh. They have so much character. It's so cool. Oh man. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so Talk to me about Zogoflex and C-Flex. Those are some of the, are all are all of the materials for all of your products recycled or, or I'd be curious to hear more about that. Yeah, that's great. So um, Zogoflex, I'll talk about when, when um, so we started off as a sewn goods product and that's uh, still our legacy line. So it's uh, wonderful that we have so much sewing that happens in this factory here. Um, but we also wanted to diversify the product line so that we can have more durable, more interactive um, toys for dogs and and Zogoflex came from this um, collaborative work with another family-owned business in plastics who were really looking uh, at the cutting-edge technologies of thermoplastic elastomers. And that was something that I had read was going to be an emerging um, uh, breakthrough in a lot of consumer products. Well, one of the cool things about the plastics is that you can control the materials, right? You can really um, hone how the materials come together. And we had a lot of competition who was using rubber in their in their products, but rubber isn't always pure and can come from the environment in a way that can impact um, uh, uh, wildlife in, in difficult ways. And so we chose to go away from that so we could be really pure with our material. Long story short, what we were really looking for was complete recyclability. We knew we wanted to have a product that was infinitely recyclable. We wanted to have a consumer take back program on dog toys, which was a like, ludicrous idea. And we wanted to be able to make sure it was free of BPA and phthalates and heavy metals and latex and all the stuff that you don't want in plastics. And so we, we were able to create um, what is still today, uh, 19, almost 19 years later, Ben, a transformative material in our industry. And we were cutting edge and we, I think, still are. And that, that material then created this um, this idea of a total guarantee with a take back. And we recycle consumer products here on site in Bozeman. And we literally can turn a Zogoflex that, that might be a year old or five years old when we get it back into brand new toys. And that recyclability is something we're really trying to drive. We just launched, relaunched, I should say, a program of putting um, join the loop recycling boxes in retailers around the nation so that consumers can have a point of uh, of drop. And it is just more environmentally, you know, carbon friendly to send a, a collection of toys back to Bozeman in the factory here for recycling than one off from consumer household. So we'll take the one offs as well. And so developing that product line, it was around how do we make the, the most durable material that is super, super safe and completely recyclable? Can we do all that? And we were really successful at that. And that's that's how our, our manufacturing here at this at this facility um, became zero waste is we didn't need to put any of this to the landfill. We could always recycle all of our production um, seconds and all of our runners. And so we're just thrilled that Zogoflex has brought so much joy and connection um, to people's lives with their pets. And that product line's just grown in a really cool way. Um, but it is, it is really unique. We were always looking for a way with our product lines to make an even more tangible impact. Mm -hmm. And C-Flex is the beginning of that journey. 
to really imagine what it means to take plastic that's going to end up in the ocean and create a market to keep it out of the ocean and solve it before it gets in there right and to to imagine cflex being a, a part of that solution has been very fulfilling and um so so ocean bound plastic is what we use as a portion of the material in cflex and the ocean bound is a is an international term uh, of 50 kilometers of, of of the of the sea and and the rivers or beaches or even wetlands that the plastic is accumulating in um at that distance to the sea will likely end up in the ocean and that's how they de de define that term and so by creating uh an economic driver to have communities pick up and clean you know pick up and recycle that product where sanitation systems might be lacking um has been awesome to see that progress and we're just a, a small drop in that but we're making a difference and that that plastic is all um harvested um in central and south america and it's brought back to the united states once it's in the united states then it's cleaned and chipped down into um, a recyclable material that is then extruded into the small pellets that can be blended with our material. And um, and so we we look forward to expanding not only the product line of C-Flex, but also the amount of recycled content that is in there so that we can continue to make a, a larger and larger impact as we grow for good. That's really cool. So the Zogo Flex stuff, is that, is a, because it's infinitely recyclable, is a portion of, so like if I go and I buy, you know, a dog, toy for my dog Remy, right? Uh and I pick up a Zogo Flex um product is a part of that already recycled material or is it completely or is it virgin or is it I'm so curious what that mix looks like. That's a great question. So it contains a certain mix of industrial um uh, uh post-industrial recycled content which is probably ranges um from maybe even 0% on some toys, depending on how it runs, to uh, meaning through the mold. Sometimes it doesn't run well through the molds. So it might be a 0% on certain toys up to maybe 15 or 20% or on other toys. So we'd probably say an average of about 10% post-industrial uh, would be in there. And then the consumer product is is, is varying on the seasons. Um, and that percentage can really change, but it's a small single digits probably of consumer uh, recycled content. And that's why we're trying to put more boxes in the retailers to get more of that content back into Montana. Um, what we've been working on, which is really exciting, Ben, and I've never shared this with anybody yet um, because the R&D is continuing, but we think we're at a place where we're gonna start adding recycled um, material into um, the Zogoflex. And uh, it would be amazing if we, can, if we can achieve that kind of impact where we could have maybe 30 to 40% of the um, Zogoflex material uh, not be virgin and be recycled content. So we continue to take even a legacy product that's 18, 19 years old and figure out like, what do we can do to make this even more sustainable? And our consumers are asking for it. Yes. But at the end of the day, it's like, this matters to Westpaw. This is something we want to do. And so that's where we're driving on those, on those positive changes too. That's so cool. Um, I'm curious what other environmental or people focused initiatives do you all have cooking over at Westpaw? Yeah. So, so on the material side, you know, we're always looking for, um, and how to use recycled material. So like for leashes, for instance, leashes and collars, um, those products are often made of nylon, which is recyclable nowadays, but it's not particularly easy. Polyester is much more recyclable because you can take plastic bottles and turn that into polyester very efficiently. We have a long history of using recycled polyester in fabrics. Well, with leashes, 
Um, there's not a compelling reason in my mind to use nylon when the uh, polyester recycled uh, leash material, the webbing, is so widely available. So we've we've switched our, our lines over to uh, more and more 100% uh, recycled polyester for leashes and webbing and in the collars as well. Um, and and then there's a, a new area for Westpaw. About two years ago, we started working on treats bed, and we came at it from this idea of how do we make the world's most tasty treats for dogs using what is often viewed as a waste stream, mm. and um, I've toured uh, the small processing, uh, those are slaughterhouses, um, if you will, um, around Montana, northern Wyoming. There's just not enough market for the organ meats that are coming out of, of, of the production um, and the human, uh, the human, the consumer doesn't eat organ meats as much. Uh, I grew up on a ranch. And we did occasionally eat liver and onions, and you don't see a lot of people eating liver anymore, right? It's just people don't eat tripe. They don't eat um, uh, kidney. I mean, just, you know, all these things. And there's organ meats are a valuable protein. And if you think about it this way, what do I say valuable, Ben? It's, it's interesting. If you, if you think about how much water, sunlight, right, just energy, grass has gone into growing a protein, there's an environmental impact there and the more westpaw can help to harvest unused organs and turn them into the world's best treats the more that value that the earth has contributed and the time people have put into caring for those animals the more that value is realized right so we started working on organ meats and we have a great line of freeze-dried dog uh, treats um using everything from from uh, beef heart and and uh um uh duck as well uh you know and, and and doing it in a way where like the beef is grass-fed right so it's certified by the american grass-fed um beef and 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 then on the on the bison side we did the same thing last year we said all right there's a lot of bison organ meat how do we get get tapped into that and we created a, a, a bison lung which is air dried and a bison um heart which is also air dried and they're fantastic what is so fun about this work is not only are we making an impact on keeping this out of landfills and letting it go to waste but the environmental and social folks we have on this is also creating these traits that make dogs just so delighted and if, if i mean you know what it's like as a pet owner like when you see your dog eating a treat or playing with a toy that's got a treat in it like a puzzle toy and they're so happy about it it's like this is the best thing so we've opened up a whole new area for Westpaw to lead in an environmental change while making dogs and their owners even more happy. So I think that's pretty fun. Yeah, that's a, that's a win all around for sure. Um, it is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious, any new products in development that you can potentially tease for us? Well, I, I'm teasing out, as I said already, like how do we take our amazing products and just make more the more um, – heavily weighted towards recycled content while not giving up any durability or safety. And, and you're the first to hear that story, but it's, it's going to happen. I I'm confident that by probably this time next year, our product line will have made a huge breakthrough 
in recycled content in our injection molded products. And then, you know, we're working on um, on expanding the C-Flex line because it's really fun to have treats um, in our toys. And we know that. And so we're working on a really innovative treat toy that um, will be coming out in the C-Flex line, hopefully in November, just in time for the holidays. And um, and so we're, we have some great work going on there. And then also we're, we're on the treats side, we're continuing to innovate there. Um, we are partnering with another certified b corp i love working with other b corps it's so fun because your your values are connected you you kind of understand the why and and yet you each maybe approach business from a little different angle and so isn't there an opportunity for collaboration and so we've done this a couple times but we have um the factory that's a b corp and they are um just going into production with a brand new line of treats that are coming out and they're going to be fantastic for our treat toys and it's just such a cool thing ben to see um how our values around the product is really um just helping us create an even better product than we could have imagined and then of course the communication and partnership is there from the beginning as two certified b corps so um we have that to look forward to and that hopefully will be shipping in a month that's awesome and speaking of b corps and b corp collaborations and friendships and things i'm curious who do you look up to or draw inspiration from in the b corp space or even just business in general yeah so you know going back to my days in vermont at college um ben and jerry's was a smaller company back then and i remember they would come to campus with peace pops they used to have these popsicles right um and they were called peace pops um and they would talk about business and i was i was your um, liberal arts student, you know, pursuing a German degree, um, who wanted to be an entrepreneur. And, uh, so when Ben and Joyce would come, I'd, I'd love to hear what they had to say. And I, it was so cool that years later I got to meet Ben and, um, just to hear kind of his story and what they were doing. And so being a, a, a B Corp, um, you know, for, for my entire, um, career, I had looked up to the work that Ben and Jerry's had done. And, um, yeah, it's no no surprise they became a founding B Corp. And then, you know, thinking about others that that have have helped blaze the the trail, you know, we wouldn't have learned about some of the textiles early on in like the late 90s mm-hmm. um if it weren't for the great work at Patagonia. Mm. You know, we would call up people that we knew at Patagonia and I'd have a chat and say, "Hey, I'm looking for a, you know, it's a non-competitive line. I'm looking at this product you make out of recycled polyester can you know can you help me out and if it weren't for the relationships of people who had developed the human side of that product line we wouldn't have gotten to know about mills like Kristen draper's mill and draper knitting right those relationships all go back to having even before we were b corps having a shared value around like let's help each other out to make a better impact right um so i've, I've always looked up to the, to the work on the textiles that, that patagonia has done in the transparency there um, and then, you know, it's, it, we're, there's another fun, fun thing I'll bring up to you, Ben, you know, the, the B Corp movement has been tremendous as we've collaborated with all sorts of different brands to share information and, and learn and grow. Um, there's another group that we're a part of called the Tugboat Institute, which are for um, businesses that aspire to be evergreen. So a hundred years or more. And how do you do that? It's not easy today, right? You you end up, even like Ben & Jerry's, sometimes companies end up being sold and they may not prefer to be sold, but that's what ends up happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how do you protect the, the business to continue to make an impact, whatever that impact is, right? And, um, and so another great uh, 
podcast guest that you've had um was was mere right and just just um just understanding from brian um how he has used mere to create so much of an impact through you know like the giving that they have done it's been incredible right and so he and i've gotten to know each other through the tugboat institute and this idea that we both want our businesses to be evergreen and um and so i think i would just always say like there's there's many places where people can find inspiration in their connection but it's always back to values when you have businesses together that share a core belief and and they have common values there is so much learning and growth that can happen and future collaborations right so um so i hope i answered your question then it's yeah, a great question no absolutely and actually yeah. i'm so curious to so is that i noticed recently that uh, Mir sent out an email about being evergreen certified. Is go. that is that yeah. what you're talking about? Indeed, it is. Indeed, it is. Yeah, there's a there's a certification process for through the Tugboat Institute that that members can do, and um, and 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 then yeah, it helps them kind of assess where they're at on their on their journey towards creating a sustainable solution for the next hundred years. Yeah. That's so cool. Are are you all working through Evergreen certification yourselves? We're starting the Evergreen certification in the new year. Yep. Yep. Oh, that's yep. We already awesome. have it booked and we're ready to go. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. That's so, so cool. Um, oh, that's so neat. So kind of branching off of that, do you have a, a dream collaborator that you haven't had a chance to work with yet? And if you could work with anybody, who would it be and what would it look like? Man, that is a really great question. And I... Um, I, I'm, I'm going to have to think on that one. That's really good because, you know, we, we haven't done a tremendous amount of collaborations on, on the product side. And, um, and I think about, you know, what would it be like, you know, where people playing with their pets, you know, where's that space that I love personally, that I love to be with pets. And, um, you know, I just was thinking, you know, I was on a mountain bike ride with my dog yesterday. It's just, it's just paradise being in the wilderness with your pets. I just, mm. you know, dogs love it. Um, they have job to do and, and you've got, you know, fun to do. It's just great. And so I, I guess where I would come to is I, I love the idea of collaborating in maybe the, the, the product development in the outdoor space. I think that would be pretty amazing. And, and I'm not sure it, it would be a company like Patagonia. They might be too big and have their own brand that's so pure and so strong, but it would be really neat to think about like, is there, is there that right fit? You know, where somebody's like, Hey, you know, we love the outdoors. You love the outdoors. You know, you make pet toys. We make these products. Like let's come together. Um, so I don't know who that would be, Ben, but I'm going to start thinking on that's a great question. You've got my wheels turning. You can tell you. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll keep, I'll keep my, my ears and eyes open for you too. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any ideas? You might have something to throw out. <laughs> you, you've been around this space. Lots of, lots of amazing folks doing cool stuff for sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, what's some of the best advice you've received on your business journey? You know, I, the, the best advice I've received is surround yourself with really great people who share your core values and your, and your passion. And I, I think everybody has probably heard that, but I want to just riff on that a little bit, given what you've, you know, you've challenged me to think about is that when, when, when you find those people work becomes something joyful it becomes something with deeper connection and meaning because you're really pulling for a common good and you're you're all in it together and i found that to be so true in my career 
And um, what keeps me here is working with those kinds of people who, who show up, they want to move the business forward, they want to make an impact in their own way. And I would layer on to the common values and, and belief in the passion and vision of the business with um, people who are incredibly um, gifted in, in how they do their work, meaning quite simply, they're better at it than I could be. And I think that uh, takes some humility. In the world today, Ben, I think we hold up the sports stars and the CEOs who are um, uniquely driven as individuals. And I'd like to hold up the team who all bring their performance to a higher level. And that's what I want to work with is I, I would like to know at the end of the day that we did something incredible because it was somebody else's idea, not mine. Um, I was there to help. And maybe I'll have a good idea one day, right? But it's the idea of how do we all come together? And so if you find it's so why am I focused on people? Because a business is about people, Ben. It just simply is. We make some great product. But at the end of the day, it's about people coming together to be a force for good and change inside the business and outside, right? And so I focus on get people around you who share your passion, your vision, and your core values, and get people around you who help to drive the business and drive performance because they can do many things better than a CEO or a founder or anybody else can do. They're just uniquely gifted. And when you find those people, work becomes joy. And then out of that joy, I think you find even more success. That's my advice. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I mean, teamwork makes the dream work, right? There you go. <laughs> um, I'm curious. Well, I think we kind of, I feel like you kind of already hit on this, but I'll throw it out there. What yeah. advice do you have for other folks looking to use business as a force for good? Yeah. So, you know, I, I didn't realize this early on, Ben, but in thinking about your questions, it's I, maybe I sound a little bit um, capitalistic here, but I'll, I'll, I'll uh, I'm going to do this for, for a reason is there are too many good businesses that start that are all, um, they're all focused on the impact and they aren't well-rounded enough on the financial side to make sure that they can sustain the impact. There's so many good ideas, social, environmental, community, right? Where um, I want people to do that work. It's We need these entrepreneurial ideas, but we also need the business to thrive. And um, there's something I feel over the years that's just grown in me to say, when you look at sustainability, do not forget financial sustainability. It is essential because it's like the golden goose, right? We, when, when we're in business, we, we have to have profits and cash flows and growth that allows us to, as we say at Westpac, grow for good. And that engine, that golden goose, if you will, allows you to decide from the treasure that you keep, right? The profits. How much that needs to go to your employees for their benefit? How much that needs to go to the customers if they're a beneficiary? How much of that needs to go to the community? How much that goes to innovation to improve the environment? Or maybe it's philanthropy to improve the environment. None of that can happen on a long-term basis without a viable, successful business that's generating profits and cash. 
And so I, I feel very strongly that that's um, an important part of any business that wants to make an impact is make sure you've got a sound business model that'll sustain you for years to come and your impact will be even greater. I think that's true. And I think it's, it's great advice. And I feel like it is something that folks struggle with. I'm curious your thoughts on how to do that. Like how, like if you've had decisions you've had to make that were, you know, impact versus we got to get through today, you know, and how, how do you move through that? You know, Ben, this, this, this should be somebody's, um, it, it should be part of being in business to have to make difficult decisions. <laughs> like that is true. And, and I think the avoidance of that is, is to, to not do the, the best work. And so I've struggled with that. Um, I've struggled to make hard decisions. So an example could be that um, let's just, let's just take a, a, a really difficult one. Hypothetically, let's say that the economy is going to have some hard days ahead. And let's say somebody's in a business um, that is going to be tremendously impacted by any downturn in the economy or any softening. And they've got some incredible people. They've got these people they develop. They're they're working really hard. They're doing great work. And they're faced with this awful choice. Um, revenues are down. Um, bank account can't handle more debt. And um, and I have these people. What do I do? So it's a, it's it's the classic thing. Is do you do furloughs or layoffs? Do you do hour reduction? There's a lot of ways to do um, very diff, all of which are difficult choices, right? If one doesn't confront the brutal facts of what's going to sustain the business and make whatever decision they're going to do about those people in the right way in their values, right? In line with their values. And the business in, instead, without making a decision, the business now folds. It collapses. It can no longer pay its debts. It can no longer keep its customers. Well, what just would happen if, 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 if a business hypothetically weren't able to reduce hours um, do furloughs or layoffs because they were so beholden to, we will never do those things. Right. Um, and then the whole business were to collapse, Ben, and everybody were to lose the opportunity. I would challenge the question of why, if you have to make a hard decision in business, make it around what's going to sustain the business to keep the impact going. And um, nobody wants to make those hard decisions. Um, who does? Or you you have to cut a benefit, right? You you have a benefit and you have to cut that benefit. Um, and so I just am, am learning and growing over the years to recognize that when leadership make the hard decisions, we need to make it with generosity to the most people we can impact. We're doing it as um, that's our job to sustain the the most benefit for the most people. Right. And um, and so I think that's a powerful thing. I think it's a powerful thing um, when we can make those hard decisions and move the business forward and and create more impact because there'll be great days ahead. Right. That's always the good thing. So that's that's maybe um, a very hard example to bring up. But just to cut to the chase, I think those are the hardest ones. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that framework of like thinking about everything about keeping that impact going. And to your point, you can't do it if you're not in business. So, um, yeah, I love that. Thank you for that. Um, I'm curious too. Uh, you know, coming coming to a close here. What's your what's your pup's favorite product? Oh my gosh! Well, right now I would honestly say there uh, we have a 
um, in the in the product line um, of the Z, of the um, of the C Flex, we have a product called Sales, which is uh, this great frisbee. And um, what my dog loves about this toy is he loves to play fetch and and he loves to also play keep away. But this particular Sales product made of C Flex. Um, is uh has a hole in the middle and so it's i don't know if he finds it funny or i find it funny but it is funny to see him easily be able to scoop this disc up and start running with it and his nose is poking out through the hole in the center and he's running and he can sort of see over the top he can't sometimes see and it's it's part of what keeps me just so thrilled that i've 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 ended up in this fun business you know i get to play with my dog and watch him be silly with my products and from from this company and um and he's having a great time he's getting exercise we're having connection together it's making us laugh i think that's one of the best things right now so the sales from from us on, on cflex is his favorite toy and then he also just loves um he loves the uh bison long like if so like i think nico ben I, i'll be honest nico's a good dog he's well behaved He's not a great dog all the time, right? He's not always well-behaved. I mean, which of us are, right? right. Um, but when I get the bag of bison along out, the the good dog that I have becomes a great dog. He will do anything I ask him to do for those. It's just so fun. So I think if I had if I had a, a, a bag of the bison along and a, and a, and and the sales, um, we'd have a pretty good outing. We'd have a pretty good outing. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, and any final closing thoughts you want to leave with listeners? You know, I, um, I would come back to like my reflection as a, as a manufacturer for 26 years. It's, it's just an awesome opportunity in business to be a force for good because we get to impact people in this building right here in Bozeman, Montana, who do everything from product design to marketing, to sales, mm -hmm. accounting, to manufacturing. And as I said, I think B Corps need to focus on how their people can unlock more opportunity for the business and that diversity of impact that we create here at Westpaw and scaling that impact makes me feel like this business was meant to do that, right? It was meant to be here. And so as, as, as you continue with your podcast and the, and the great impacts you're making of sharing these stories, Ben, I think bringing it back to the people who drive these businesses to drive the impact to connect great services and products with people who want them. Um, I am very hopeful that with our collective efforts as businesses, we're going to have a, a really strong impact as a, as a community of B Corps um, for good. And that's something that just leaves me filled up today. So I appreciate this conversation. I really appreciate you, Ben, and for the work you're doing with these podcasts. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, I have links and bonus content for you at the link in the show notes in your podcast player. Be sure to check those out. And if you're enjoying this content and want more people to discover it, be sure to rate our podcast on your favorite podcast player and leave us a review. If enough folks do that, it tells the algorithms and math whizzes out there that this content is important and will show it to more folks. 
And we certainly appreciate your support there. And if you're in the greater Portland, Maine area on Monday night, October 17th, between 4 p.m. and 8 p.m., be sure to come hang out with us in our office at Deergo Collective in Yarmouth to write letters to voters to help turn out the fall in this midterm election. This nonpartisan event is made possible by the generous support of Allagash Brewing and is in collaboration with the nonprofit Vote Forward. Be sure to register at the link in the show notes so we make sure we have enough food and meet everybody's dietary restrictions uh, and, of course, some tasty beverage for everybody. We look forward to meeting you and seeing you there. Till next time, be responsibly different. This episode was produced by yours truly, Ben Marine. Music is by Kevin Oates. To learn more about Responsibly Different, visit responsiblydifferent.com or follow the link right in the show notes in your podcast player. To learn more about our parent company, Dirigo Collective, visit dirigocollective.com. That's D as in dog, I-R-I-G-O collective.com.